0: Today I want to talk to you about your five cents worth and how your five cents worth can change the world. I want to ask you this morning to start out with how much a cup of water is worth to you. What would you give me for my cup of water, really? Whoa, you guys are gen- you re- truly are generous. It's only worth about five cents. Uh, so if you're really thirsty, you might give me more, but. Probably most of you this morning, uh, the way you're feeling at this moment, wouldn't give me more than about five cents, which is what it's worth. So my question is, so then, why did Jesus make such a big deal about water? Because he said, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water, one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly, I tell you, he will by no means lose his reward. Did Jesus really mean that? Did he really mean that something so insignificant as giving a cup of water to one of the least human beings on Earth was significant? And if so, if he meant it, why? And what did he mean? Now, though we seldom think of it this way, the reality is that water is is the most basic element of life. Water is life. The human body is made up of 60% water. Our brains are 70% water our blood is 80% water They say our lungs are 90% water and yet for the most part. We don't give it much of a a second thought In fact perish the thought that this might happen, but some of us may have actually taken a, a Kleenex and dropped it in our toilet bowl this week and flushed it down to the sewer using more clean water than 800 million people in the world today have access to an entire week. Did you know that the lack of clean water in the world is actually the leading cause of death worldwide? More in any given year, more people die from lack of clean water than die from war. Since I began speaking, six children, somewhere on the earth, six children under the age of five, have died from waterborne illnesses. That is the equivalent to six jumbo jets full of little children every single day. One of them who died recently was a nine month old daughter of a man who lives in this Central Asian country where we have field staff. She died from diarrhea and dehydration. The reason being that in that particular country, they believe that the way you treat a child who has diarrhea is that you give them nothing else to drink we have um, a team there who is there to teach basic uh, birth and life-saving sca- skills and hygiene to bring God's love to life in that particular least reached marketplace and this particular man didn't get the training in time and so his little girl died literally for lack of a cup of clean water. One other man who was at the training that was given this particular day, came up to our coworker and he said to him after, with tears in his eyes, "If I had had this training sooner, three of my children would not have died." Do you know, I, I have to wonder whether Jesus might not have had some of these little ones in mind, even as he spoke those words so long ago about the value of a cup of water. I want you to look with me this morning at what Jesus has to say to you through this very simple and yet powerful statement found for us in Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to read just the last few verses of that passage Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Matthew chapter 10, and I'll begin reading at verse 40. Jesus says this, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who rece- who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple Truly I say to you he will by no means lose his reward a While back a friend of mine wrote me an email He has been supporting our ministry for many years and he said this I pray regularly that God would use me in a capacity like yours And I long for the day when I would be free from what I do now to engage in real ministry. Now, while I understand my friend's desire to be greatly used of God, somehow it troubles me that we have convinced people like my friend who spends five days a week, 40 or 50 hours a week, rubbing shoulders with unbelievers, that he is not engaged in real ministry while I who spend most of my life with people like you I work in an office surrounded by believers I come away on weekends and speak to groups of believers That somehow I am in real ministry if what Jesus said is true when he said that he didn't come to call the righteous But Sinners to repentance. Which one of the two of us is really engaged in real ministry? Well, I would suggest it's both of us But it's certainly not me To the exclusion of my friend What would Jesus say to people like my friend? Or to people like you About the significance of the role that you play in his kingdom There are two simple truths contained in these verses that I think have in many respects escaped The notice or escape the understanding of millions of followers of Jesus, leaving them basically sitting on the sidelines rather than inviting them into the game. And I'd like to share those two simple truths with you this morning. The first of which is this, that you have what people need. You have what they need. If you love God passionately and love people sacrificially, you already have what is needed to engage in significant ministry. Jesus said, you do not have to be the preacher to receive a preacher's reward. You do not have to quit your job and become a traveling evangelist to receive a righteous man's reward. You do not need a seminary degree to make a difference you do not have to write a theology of mission in order to make a disciple listen you do not have to exchange the cup of cold water that is in your hand with the cup of communion that is in your pastor's hand in order to be engaged in real significant ministry when jesus says that even a cup of water Given in his name to a single one of these little ones will be rewarded. He was not raising the bar on significant ministry. He was putting it right down there where every one of us has access to it. And lest his listeners were having trouble believing that that could possibly be true, he states it very, very emphatically. He says, if anyone, truly I say to you, if anyone... Gives even a cup of cold water in my name truly. I tell you he will by no means lose his reward So listen up Even a cup of water Is a gateway to significant ministry? Meeting the simplest physical need of the least human being on earth Counts it matters it is totally and it is eternally significant So if God can use a cup of cold water Certainly He can use the tool that he has placed in your hand The passion that he has put on your heart or the profession that he has put on your resume In order to bless the nations yet somehow we have convinced many many people like you That what you do every day is not real ministry, and I am here to tell you that it is Some of you may recognize the name uh, David Green. He was he is the founder of Hobby Lobby Um, They have about 490 stores across the US two and a half billion dollars annually in revenue he tells the story of his journey to discovering his significance Uh, God-given significance. He was the son of a pastor. There were five other siblings in the family All of them learned their work ethic by actually by going and picking cotton to help support his family David Green when he was in high school as part of his studies in high school went and did a a short uh, Internship at a five and dime store and it was at that time that he learned that he just loved retail But this is what he said All five of my siblings followed my father's footsteps and went into a traditional pastoral life. After I went into retail, I thought I was a second-class Christian. It took me years before I understood that God had a purpose for me to fulfill. If you know anything about David Green and his business, he runs a kingdom business that glorifies God and, and, and treats his employees the way Jesus would treat them if he were the boss of that company. He is involved in full-time ministry, just like I am. And just like you are. Do you remember what Paul, the apostle, called politicians? He didn't call them what some of us would like to call them. He actually called them God's servants. He says, they are God's servants... They are God's servants, or some translations have ministers, for your good. And then he says it again, they are God's servants to punish wrongdoers. And he says it again, they are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Did you get that? Politicians are full time ministers. Now, if that is true of politicians, men and women, that is true of you. You are called to full time ministry with whatever God has given you. Yes. Martin Luther was correct when he said, it is pure invention that Pope, bishops, priests, and monks are called the spiritual estate, while princes, lords, artisans, and farmers are called the temporal estate. That, he said, is indeed a fine bit of lying and hypocrisy. All Christians are truly the spiritual estate. There is really no difference between laymen and priests, princes and bishops, spirituals and, and temporals, as they call them, except that of their work. A cobbler, a smith, a farmer, each has the work of his trade, and yet they are all alike consecrated priests and bishops. It is high time. That we, in the West at least, stop denigrating the high call of God on what he has placed in the hands and the hearts of every follower of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, what do you have in your hands? What is it that you have that God wants to leverage for real ministry? I've already mentioned one thing that we have Here in the West, we have clean, accessible water. The leading cause of illness and death worldwide is contaminated water from poor sanitation. 800 million people around the world today have no access to clean water. 1.1 billion people have no access to any kind of sanitation. Two and a half billion people lack adequate access to sanitation. So nearly 10,000 people every day, not just a little five and under, but 10,000 people every day worldwide die literally for lack of clean water. There might be somebody in this room who could do something about that. Maybe you have a skill set that could make a difference to that, the family of that little girl that I told you about in Central Asia. I'm not talking simply about sending a donation to the World Health Organization. Why should we, the body of Christ, entrust to the world the privilege of doing what he said only we could do? And that is to give a cup of water in his name. Vicki and her husband left the US about four years ago to teach basic life skills and hygiene in the Middle East She had just made a visit to a family of orphans They had been orphaned and now they were being the family was being headed up by the teenage daughter And she was just she had gone there to take them some groceries She was just stepping back out the door to return home when around the corner came a group of women in burkas Just as they passed in front of Vicki one of them fell to the ground from heat exhaustion and began dry heaving Well, Vicki says this, she said, I always carry water in my purse, so I rushed to the the woman's side and offered her a drink. Though the neighborhood is unwelcoming to foreigners like me, whom they have been told are infidels, the family I had just visited stood in their doorway with a mixture of amazement and pride to be identified with the foreigner who so obviously cared about people. One little bottle of water. You can count on it. Vicki has an open door to ministry through something so simple As some clean water You have water. God may be nudging one of you who has skills in health care or community development Sanitation clean water solutions or other related fields to work with our team there in Central Asia to bring God's love to life using something so simple as water Let me tell you a second thing that you have You have English. It is no coincidence that the language that the whole world today wants to speak is the language that every one of us in this room speak. There is hardly a place on earth today, outside of the Western world, that is not clamoring For native speaking English teachers to come and teach their people one of the one of the most amazing open doors that we have in crossworld right now Is from the country of Thailand Which is part of the Pacific Rim nations and in order to be part of a a consortium of nations called ocean You have to have a certain level of proficiency in English And so they are they are looking for native English teachers to come and teach in their public schools We were uh, able to connect With the government of this country through the fledgling evangelical church in that country very very small much of the country of Thailand is unreached But there's some pockets of them and and the government of that country came to the evangelical church and said would you help us get teachers? Do you know why? Because the ones who normally come and take these jobs are secular university students, don't know Christ for the most part. They go over there, they want to see the world, they want to have a good time, they take a job teaching in the public school, they go out and party all night, get drunk, come in late, and after two or three months they decide they're out of there, and they leave the the schools in the lurch. And so the government has come to the church there and said, could you help us? When we first sent somebody over to talk with them a couple years back, it was, I think, the month of April. They said, could you send us 100 teachers by October? And we looked at him and said, this October? <laughs> he said, yeah. We could send them hundreds and hundreds. We only have like six so far. You know, when I speak in churches like this, I can't understand how it is I can leave without at least a few people saying, I'd be interested in that. To give a year or two to go over. And on top of it, The Thai government pays you a salary and provides housing for you. Very little additional financial support that you have to raise in order to go and do it. You have English. Let me tell you a third thing that you have, that we have, and that is jobs. Jim Clifton, the chairman of Gallup, recently authored a book entitled The Coming Job Wars. It was the result of a decade-long study of global needs. Listen to what he writes. He says, six years into our global data collection effort, we may have already found the single, most searing, clarifying, helpful, world-altering fact. That's kind of like when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you that this is a truly, truly, I say to you statement. He says, we have already found the, the single most searing, clarifying, helpful, world-altering fact. Listen to what he says. What the world wants, what the whole world wants, is a good job. What the whole world wants is a good job. This is one of the most important discoveries Gallup has ever made, he writes. At the very least, it needs to be considered in every policy, every law, and every social initiative. All leaders, policymakers, and lawmakers, presidents and prime ministers, parents, judges, priests, pastors, imams, teachers, managers, and CEOs, needs to consider it every day in everything they do. He says, that is as simple and as straightforward an explanation of the data as I can give. Whether you and I were working down the the street in Khartoum, Cairo, Berlin, Lima, Los Angeles, Baghdad, or Istanbul, we would discover that the single most dominant thought on most people's minds is having a good job. You say, so what? I'll tell you, so what? There are a few of us, they say maybe 1% of the working population, who are actually gifted entrepreneurs. You just know how to start businesses and create wealth. And we are so serious in Crossworld about sending what we call job makers, entrepreneurs who truly know how to start business and create wealth. We are so serious about sending Entrepreneurs to the nations, as part of our disciple making teams, that we have teamed up with a like minded Christian business development company that does for entrepreneurs what a traditional mission like Crossworld does for traditional missionaries and screens them, helps them to develop their business plan, uh, provides mentoring, resources, how to learn a culture, all that stuff to go and do what they do best as a means of opening doors for the gospel. Can you imagine how it might open a door for the gospel if you went somewhere and put food on the table of a guy who didn't have a job, if you hadn't showed up and started that business? It's amazing how God is opening doors through business. Others of you have jobs that are transportable. You're not job makers. You couldn't start a business and keep it going. You're what we call job takers. That is, you have jobs that you could take with you To the nations some of you may work for companies that have offices all over the world And when you come to a mission conference like this rather than sitting there going hmm I wonder who God might call from us to be a missionary next. I know it's not me Maybe you should be saying Hmm Wonder if I should go and talk to the vice president of global operations and tell them the next time they have an opening in Delhi I'd like to be considered for that job Wouldn't that change a missions conference if we all realize that God is calling some of us to the nations using our professions? John Piper, in his excellent book called Don't Waste Your Life, writes, For many of you, the move toward missions and deeds of mercy will not be a move away from your work, but with your work to another more needy, less reached part of the world. Christians should seriously ask not only what their vocation is, but where it should be lived out. How many of you know what your vocation is? Well, almost all of you, unless you're all unemployed, you know what your vocation is. He said, He said, we should not, Christians should not only be asking what their vocation is, but where it should be lived out. And he says, We should not assume that teachers and carpenters, computer programmers and managers and CPAs and doctors and pilots should do their work in America. Yet yeah, that's exactly what we assume. That the only people that God is calling to the nations are people like me and Rob who have gone and got a seminary education. And that is a bunch of baloney. God is calling some of you with your professions to say, God, where in the world do you want me to practice this for your glory? Crossworld's dream is about sending disciple makers from all professions. Who will bring God's love to life in the world's least reached marketplaces? As I said this morning in, during the Sunday school hour, 60% of the world now lives in places where you cannot get a missionary visa. I could not go there and work. And mo- if, if I applied, they would just stamp it and say, no, no missionary visas. And Most of those places most of that 60% of the world are the parts of the world that are still the least reached the door is closed But it is wide open To many people like you who have professions that are transportable To take the gospel to the nations if you want to read more about that I'd encourage you to go online at Amazon.com and get a copy of the book that we wrote a few years ago a better way making disciples Wherever life happens for all of you right now life is happening right here And you can make disciples right here for some of you You need to consider taking what you're doing right here and doing it in another part of the world and making disciples Wherever life happens through what God has given you So number one You have what they need So don't complicate the gospel mandate ministry that counts is within the reach of who God has made you and what he has put in your hand Why is that true? Why do I say that you have what they need for real ministry? Well because of the second truth and that is the truth flows from good deeds So you have what they need don't complicate the gospel message and truth flows from good deeds. So don't truncate the gospel message In other words, don't separate the good news of the gospel from the good deeds of the gospel. You see, the good news was never meant to be shared merely as a propositional message. It was also meant to be an incarnational message. In other words, you don't just give it, you live it. It's part of how you do life. That is not to say that good deeds are a substitute for the gospel. No good deeds are a catalyst for the gospel if you remember your high school high school chemistry you might remember that a catalyst Is simply a substance that precipitates or accelerates an event or a reaction? That's what sharing life with lost people does it precipitates it accelerates gospel opportunities as we said in the first hour this morning if people only see Followers of Jesus from the other side of the road rather than from their own side of the road like the Samaritan man showed that bruised and beaten man. If they only see us from the other side of the road, they're never going to understand who Jesus is. But when we share life with people, that's like this catalyst that accelerates gospel opportunities. The truest mark of a Jesus follower is not the words of truth that come forth from his mouth, but the deeds of love that come forth from his hands. Jesus said it. He said, by this all men will know you're my disciples. Not if you tell them, but if you love one another. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The apostle Paul said, the entire law... The whole Old Testament law is summed up in one word. Remember that word? Love. He said it's summed up in one word: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. John wrote, Apostle John, this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He said, This is the his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Belief and love go hand in hand. Gospel ministry is not merely preaching a message of belief. Neither it is is it merely living a message of love. It is both living the message and giving the message. Amen. Those two together. And if you separate them, it becomes very ineffective. Jesus actually weds proclamation. With incarnation in this passage that we looked at here in Matthew chapter 10, using five parallel statements in one little Greek word. The little word that he uses is a word in Greek dekamai which simply means to receive or to welcome. It's actually a word of hospitality. Look with me at the five sentences, the five phrases that he has there. First of all, he says, He who welcomes, He who welcomes you, welcomes me. Why? Well, because a disciple is like his master. He who welcomes you welcomes me. We look alike. Secondly, he says, he who welcomes me welcomes my father. Why is that? Well, because I and the father are one. You've seen me, you've seen the father. Next, thirdly, he says, he who welcomes a prophet because he's a prophet will receive the reward of a prophet. Fourthly, he says, he who welcomes a righteous man will get the reward of a righteous man. But the fifth one is different. He doesn't say he who welcomes or receives. What does he say? He says he who gives a cup of cold water. What is the relationship between welcoming and receiving or giving a cup of water? Well, it's really one and the same, especially in Middle Eastern culture, wasn't it? In a Middle Eastern culture, that is the way you receive or welcome someone. You give them water to wash their feet, to quench their thirst. Here's one of the most powerful and forgotten gateways to disciple-making ministry that exists. I don't know if it's forgotten disappearing in your country here, but it is in mine. And that is the word hospitality. Hospitality. It's disappearing. And yet, in the Middle Eastern culture, even to this day, hospitality is the epitome Of What it means to practice good deeds it is such a powerful and binding expression of goodness that to this day if a Middle Easterner Welcomes you under the shelter of his roof. He is obliged to protect you from anyone who would try to harm you and Jesus actually puts hospitality Welcoming receiving he actually puts it in the same category as the ministry of prophets and righteous men why because truth flows through good deeds People's hearts open to love, and hospitality is one of the purest forms of love. In Timothy and Titus, Paul actually makes it a requirement for all church leaders. So how are you guys doing in that? Now before the rest of you go, oh, our pastors aren't very good at hospitality, guess what? (laughs) Paul tells all of us that we're also responsible. For he says in Romans chapter 12, he urges believers to pursue Hospitality. The Greek word there is philoxenia, which comes from two little words: philos, which means uh, friend or loved one, and xenos, which means a stranger, foreigner. So, hospitality literally is to love or befriend foreigners. And he says, every one of us as Christians, that is incumbent upon us to pursue hospitality. I was boarding a flight from New York to Kansas City a couple years ago. And I sat down to a next to a twenty something year old guy who looked to be from India. I sat down beside him and I said, "Hi my name's Dale has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven?" Well no I actually didn't say that as soon as I sat down uh, that's probably what I would have said uh, ten or fifteen years ago because I felt like by hook or by crook I had to get the gospel proposition in uh, i I believe more and more today that as much as I long for that guy sitting in the seat next to me to know and, and love Jesus Jesus longs for it even more and he can open that door so I just sat down beside him and said hi my name is Dale are you headed home or away from home he says hello sir this is my first day in America I can't quite do this thing the way they do but <laughs> yeah hello sir this is my first day in America and I said well welcome to America what brings you here he says well I'm coming to Kansas City to attend a graduate school and uh, Kansas City is where I live. On so for the next two hours, we just talked about his life in India and and our lives in America and our families and all that stuff. And before we landed, I said, "You know, uh, Ramesh, my wife and I would love to introduce you to culture in America. You want to exchange contact information?" Oh yes, he did. That that was the beginning of a wonderful relationship, not just with Ramesh but with about four of his Indian friends who were also in graduate school. We have, we have spent countless hours and days just loving on these guys. We have them over for every, every holiday. So for Christmas, for Easter, for Thanksgiving, any opportunity we can. And we'll often say, you know, this is what Christmas is to most Americans. But this is what Christmas is to a follower of Jesus. This is what Thanksgiving means to most Americans. You know, food and football and family this is why we as followers of Jesus are called to be thankful uh, we, ha- we have we have gone to baseball games with them we have we have, we have look- taught them disc golf we have gone away for weekends with them we have them over for meals they have us over and cook Indian food we love those guys I remember one of the uh, first few times we had them over. It was right at the time when this Disney movie called A Million Dollar Arm was coming out. It's a true story about um, some American baseball scouts who go to India to scout for pitchers amongst cricket players. I figured there's got to be some guys who can throw baseballs among a billion people. So they go over there. So I, I, I called Ramesh. I said, hey, Ramesh, this, this movie just came out. I, you guys want to come over and we'll make some pizza and watch a movie? Oh, yeah. I said, you know, if you want to understand American culture, you got to understand baseball." So they come over and you know, we make pizza and we watch this movie and as I'm driving them home that night There's five of them um, crammed into my Hyundai Sonata So four big guys crammed in the back seat, and me and Ramesh in the front And I turn around and say hey guys. I'm sorry. It's so crowded. They said oh, that's okay We put many more people in the car than this, you know, and so we're driving home and I said hey What do you miss most? Um, uh, what's been the most difficult thing for you about life in America? And They didn't even have to take a breath. They said we have few friends and no way to get anywhere No means of transportation. I could have cried Here God is sending us millions and millions of foreigners and calling us to just befriend Foreigners he's sending us millions of foreigners And if you know anything about at least the statistics where I live 80% of foreigners who come to study in our country Never see the inside of an American's home If there was ever an Opportunity to pursue the love of foreigners. It is today as the nations of the world are moving all over the world And yet I can tell you today to our shame in America at least we are rapidly becoming the least hospitable foreigner loving people in the world and We're a Christian nation and that should not be So why does any of this matter well? I believe it matters because there are millions of water boys and girls That's you who have been sitting on the sidelines for far too long while there are billions of little ones The least of the least who have yet to even once encounter an authentic follower of Jesus and He's calling you and me To get in the game You want to change the world? In your lifetime, love people, live the gospel with whatever He has put in your hands. Let me pray. Father, we are amazed that you would entrust this marvelous privilege to us to live and love like Jesus in His stead. And I thank you that you love. The the gifts that you've given to each of us you have given us our professions You have given us our wiring you have given us the things that ignite us that we love to do and um, You didn't give us those things so that we could leave them behind to serve you in full-time ministry You gave them to us to serve you in full-time ministry. Thank you that you can use anything You can use the least thing to the least of the least in order to do significant ministry, would you speak to our hearts today through your word and by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. amen.